Well, good morning, and I welcome those who are visiting today. If you notice some people sitting near you that don't normally sit in your section, it could be friends from the Institute for Worship Studies. We have many students in town for the session this week, and we welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, You'll hear more about IWS um, a little later from Dr. Jim Hart. Um, It's a great time to be here this morning because we're actually starting into a new preaching series for the next 10 weeks that will carry us through the summer. Every summer we'd like to pick some topic or some section of Scripture and make that our preaching focus, and we'll be looking at the life of King David, and I've titled this sermon series, Honest to God. I find that when I look at David and his life, I'm struck by his transparency, more so even than some ideal perfection of a king, but one who, when broken, when making mistakes, his impulse is to turn back to God and to look to Him. I think about Psalm 121 that says, I look to the mountains, where does my help come from? That question is very helpful for us. And I wonder for you, when you need help, where do you look first? Do you look up? Do you look down? Do you look around? Many of us know that experience of having those dreaded words on the outside of a package that say, some assembly required. And if you're even slightly mechanically inclined and you know what you've bought, you can see the picture on the box and you think, I can put that together. And you, of course, do. And then there are three pieces left over after. And then you think, this isn't going to work right. So then finally, where do we look? Then, when all else fails, read the instructions, right? That adage is helpful because it talks about the fact that we would rather rely on our own resources than look for help elsewhere. And sometimes, though, we'll look to other people or we'll look to a number of places for help before we'll look to the Lord for help, even in the simple things like putting something together. So this morning, where does your help come from, and where do you look to receive that help? This morning, I'm going to suggest that ordinary life presents alternatives to the Lord, that there are a number of things that we can be tempted to look to for security, for help, for strength. And the average person looks to those things first And it's only through training and walking with the Lord that we can learn to set our eyes on the Lord and go, okay, God, you are my help. Help me now. What shall I do? Now, in 1 Samuel, even though today we're not going to talk about David so much, we're going to back up and look at 1 Samuel 8. And if you'd like to turn there in a pew Bible, it's helpful to have Scripture in front of you. Pretty much my main focus is going to be verse 20 of 1 Samuel 8 which we just read. And we, we read um, skipping a section, but I'm going to fill you in on that, so I think it's helpful to have a Bible in front of you. Now, what has happened here is a major transition in the life of God's people in ancient Israel. Once they crossed over the Jordan and went into the land of Canaan, they divvied up the land into the, tw- in the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were basically being run like a, a little tribal confederacy, Each tribe had its group of elders, and occasionally those elders would all get together with the other tribes, but God was their king. And the Lord had raised up for them judges who would come and help manage the conflicts of their situation. They were still driving the other peoples out of the land of Canaan and were slowly inhabiting the whole thing as God promised. And the judges were okay, some were better than others. Samuel was a phenomenal judge. And in their day, they had great peace and justice in the tribes. They had a lot of military victory. 
but they were still struggling with the Philistines who were in that land, particularly down by the Gaza Strip, and they were fighting for um, the whole of Canaan, and the Philistines were pretty strong. And what happens here is time progresses, and the people, the elders of these tribes, come to Samuel, and they say, you're old. You're going to die. And a problem is that his sons weren't walking in his ways. Samuel had been grooming them to take over as judges, but they just didn't have the same character. When they got power, they used it for their own gratification and edification. They did not use it to serve the people well. So they were perverting justice is what it says, and they were taking bribes for themselves, and the people knew this. So the elders came to Samuel, and instead of saying, ask God to send us another judge like you, they say, set a king over us like the other people. Now, Samuel is, of course, grieved by this, and he turns to the Lord in prayer. And as he prays, what he hears from the Lord is, they have not rejected you, but they've actually rejected me as their king. Now, if you know the scriptures, they actually had an angle to come asking for a king. I'm going to flip back to Deuteronomy 17, which is something that Moses said right before they crossed over the Jordan into the land of promise. The section is called, in the ESV heading, it's called Laws Concerning Israel's Kings. So Moses said this to the people, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set over you as king. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Remember, they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 some years. And he, this king, shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. Okay, so the Lord was okay with them having a king, and had even said beforehand, you're going to ask for this, and I will grant it, and here's how the king should function. So why is the Lord so dejected by his people in this passage, and of course, the prophet Samuel? Well, as is often the case in the Scriptures, it's a question of our heart and the motives for asking. Why were they asking? What were they trying to do? Now, next week, we're going to look at how the Lord looks on the heart of a man, But today I'm going to look at verse 20 in here and hopefully see a couple of things that they were doing. In verse 20, it says this, um, the people respond and say, no, there shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. In other words, they were trusting in groupthink. We want to be like everybody else. Come on, Samuel, everybody's doing it. We want to be like them. We don't want to be a peculiar people. We don't want to be unique. Meanwhile, God had said, you'll be a holy nation, a people with a holy God who dwells in their midst. It will make them other. They will be different. They were supposed to be different. But as is usual for many of us, the grass looks greener on the other side. They looked to these other people. They saw the Philistines who looked so strong with their big army and their proud king and him going out to battle and fighting, and they they just wanted that kind of security. And so quickly, they have forgotten all that the Lord had provided and what He had done for them in the time when they didn't have a king. 
in the time when they had Moses and, and they wandered out into the wilderness and God provided for them and he fought their battles and he had done so much. Through Joshua, Moses' successor, they'd gone into the land and they displaced one city after another as long as they relied on the Lord. That faithful people rely on the Lord. And they forgot this. And so they fell into kind of a groupthink. The other thing that they did is they were trusting in a mere human. Again, in verse 20, that, that we may also be like the nations and that our king may judge us. They wanted a king to come and be their judge. And the thing is, they had just heard a warning from Samuel. God said, fine, set a king over them, but warn them of what this king is going to be like. Now, we skipped this section in the reading this morning, but in the passage that we skipped from verse 10 down to 18, six different times a certain word is in there describing the king. The word take. The Lord will take. And they were expecting the Lord to give or the king, excuse me, the king will take, and they were expecting the king to give. So listen to what the king will take. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. You shall be his slaves. Remember, the whole thing about getting out of Egypt was, you won't be slaves anymore. You'll now be free to serve your king, the Lord God. But if you set a king over you like the other nations do, you're going to be slaves again, slaves to this king. Now, God's not down on having a monarchy, but he warned back in Deuteronomy, he warned through Moses what this king must function like. He shouldn't take all this stuff and acquire silver and gold and wives and chariots for himself. He's supposed to serve the people. He's supposed to help lead. He's supposed to fight for justice and peace in the land. He's supposed to unify them. And he is supposed to set the example of a king who is looking to God for his strength. But that's not what typically happens. And if you know some of the story and you look at the numerous kings they had in Israel, many didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. They did exactly what the prophet Samuel said would happen. They took, and they took, and they took, and they took, and they became the slave masters of God's people, which is not what he wanted. So it's a type of slavery. So they wanted, they were were trusting in groupthink. We want to do what everybody else is doing. They were trusting in in a human, like a hero. We want a hero to fight for us, but the grass looks greener. And they were trusting in an instrument, that instrument being a strong military. So look again, verse 20. There shall be a king over us, that we may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us, and go out before us and fight our battles. We want to see a lot of chariots. We want big war horses. We want to see the best archers. We want the proudest military so that we can trust in that. And what you saw as God helped them conquer the land was he didn't do it that way typically. Do you remember the first city they took when they crossed the Jordan? the city of Jericho. Do you know what they did to take that city? They marched around it and blew trumpets and shouted. And then the walls fell down and people were crushed and they took the city over that way. They didn't need chariots for that. They needed the Lord. He was their strength. He was their help. Anytime they relied in human strength or even counting their own troops and their military and started to trust in that instrument, God humbled them and said, I'm your strength. 
not those things, but they were trusting in in an instrument here. Now, that's a symbol of security, to have a big, strong military. It's a symbol of security, and they were trusting in the wrong thing. Let me harken back briefly to our story as a church, as a people. One of the things I love about the history of Grace Anglican Church is that this is a people who in a very short time learned that all three of these things cannot be trusted in. Groupthink cannot be trusted in. In other words, the denomination will not save us. Being part of a big, powerful denomination with lots of leaders and lots of bishops, all that, it's not going to save us. Nor do we have a human hero who's merely human. We learned that we don't have a pastor who is our hero. And we learned that we don't have a building. So this is a church that learned it's not about a denomination, it's not about a man, and it's not about a building. Because in 2006 and 2007, we had to give all of those things up. And as a people, came together and prayed and trusted the Lord and saw that He was our strength. And if the church is thriving now, which it is in a number of ways, it's because God is doing this work and His people keep looking to Him for their strength. Every time, at least every time I can remember that I taught the newcomers class, I tell that story and I say, if you're joining this church, I want you to know this is a church that has been tried by fire and has come through in God's strength. It's a church that has been tested and has learned that He is our strength. He is our Lord. The strength really is in the pews in this church because the people in the pews look to God for help. It's an amazing thing. Now, um, it's a picture of God's people relying on Him. One of the things about the Scriptures that we'll hopefully pick up on over this preaching series is that the whole Bible points us to Christ. If you think about these three things, groupthink and uh, trusting in a mere human and trusting in an instrument, Jesus fulfills these things. He will fulfill themes. There will be types that are fulfilled in Christ, and we're going to try to point the whole Scriptures to Him and see this. Now, Samuel didn't quite see what we get to see on this side of the cross of a king who actually is one who is worthy. And, but we did see God saying, you're going to be a holy nation. You'll be a different kind of people. But when Jesus came, he said things like this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So he was expecting them to be different. Live such good lives among the Gentiles that they will see your good deeds and give glory to your God in heaven. These were the things that Jesus taught his followers about being a peculiar people and not just doing what everybody else is doing. Be a people set apart. You're the light of the earth. You're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He taught this, and he modeled it. He looked very different in how he functioned, relying on his father for everything that he did. And that idea of trusting in a mere human, well, we do look to a man. I know a man once who was a great king and who never failed his people And he actually judged them well, and he fought their battle. And you know that king. He didn't do what Samuel said. He didn't take, take, take. He came as one who would serve and was among us as our servant. And he laid down his life, and he fought our battle, and he took our sin and judged it on the cross for us. So there is a king who does this. And not only that, but instrument. We don't trust in an instrument. It's not about a building. It's not about a checking account. It's not about any of these things worldly. The cross is the instrument that is our strength, that there we are made righteous and forgiven. That is where our hope is, the hope of the resurrection. That cross is empty because he defeated death and is, is, has, has risen, and so will we in him. Now, real Christians rely on Christ, not these other things. 
But the question is, how do we do that? Now, I want to point something out from this passage that's really powerful about our situation. We have real free will to do stuff or to not do stuff. And we're shocked in this story when they come complaining and say, give us a king like all the other nations. And Samuel goes to God. We expect God to say, no way, I'm the king. But he doesn't do that. He says, obey their voice and all that they ask and set a king over them and warn them what that king's going to be like, but obey their voice. And you see, the thing about our God is this. He will allow us to try other things to be our strength even though he is our strength. He is our king. He will let you choose other things to depend in. And that's a scary amount of freedom. And we are constantly tempted in this world to look, look down and look around us for the help instead of looking up to God and coming honestly before him and saying, help, I need your help. So I wonder, where is your strength right now? The thing that was real dangerous for these folks is that they were in a time of prosperity. Samuel had judged well. There was justice and peace in the land. Things had gone well under his leadership. We are prospering in this moment. As a church, I think as a nation in many ways, we're recovering economically. There's change, but it seems like some of it's very good change. It's in the times of prosperity that, are, that we're really at risk, that we're at risk in trusting in our own strength and the strength of those around us instead of coming to the Lord. Now, you know the secret of this? You know the way that real Christians rely on Christ? It's in those good times, learning to walk with Him, starting with thankfulness. I just took that breath, Lord, because you've given me the ability to stay alive. I live and breathe in Him. I'm standing here today as one because of your grace. We practice thankfulness. We thank God. We recognize His providence in our lives. We learn moment by moment to keep turning our eyes to Him, to trust Him to help us, to give us the strength to do the things, the simple things that we do. And as this happens, when the calamities come, it's natural to look to Him because we've been looking to Him in the prosperity as well. And let me close with a verse that's very familiar to all of you, or many of you. Many of you could probably quote Philippians 4.13 to me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but do I? Would you pray? Father, I want to thank you for the narrative of Samuel and how masterfully it's written and what it says about trusting you as our king. I lift up to you the preaching for the next 10 weeks that you would help us to follow David's example, that you would be blessed with us trusting in you. Lord, even right now, we lay down anything that we have trusted in instead of you and ask for you to help us. Forgive us for that, Lord. You are our joy and our salvation, and we praise you this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and join with me in professing what we believe using the Nicene Creed.